0: Welcome to Realty Talk, the show that brings together the country's most authoritative and respected property experts. Follow us on all the socials and subscribe for updates and exclusive offers. Realty Talk is powered by Realty.com.au, connecting buyers, sellers, and agents differently.
1: Well, hello and welcome to the show. Bushy Martin is in the chair once again this week, and Bushy, of course, is from Know How Property Finance. And he's the host of that very popular podcast, Get Invested. Bushy's guests this week are Bryce Holdaway, Rob Newman and Jason Back. First up, Bushy talks to TV property show host and property buyers advocate Bryce Holdaway about a popular money myth about paying rent. You know, given the massive stimulus incentives being offered by federal and state governments to build new homes, There's been a big increase in the number of first-home buyers who are looking to go down that road. It's always best to know the risks before making that decision. And you've got to hear today what they are from Rob Newman. Now, Rob is a buyer's agent. He's also a builder broker, so he knows what he's talking about. Delays in arranging approved finance for the purchase of a property can now run anything up to 8, maybe even 12 weeks. that results in many property sales falling over, with everyone involved suffering high anxiety, stress and frustration. Now, it doesn't have to be that way, according to mortgage-broking industry veteran Jason Back. He talks to us about that today. And finally, to wrap up this week's show, Bushy's last word is about how so many borrowers focus on rate when borrowing. He says, hey there's much more important things that you need to worry about and that you should be considering. Okay, on that note, let's get started.
2: Welcome. Now, as fear of missing out seems to grip uh, property buyers around the country and as we've seen property prices continue to soar, all the old sales truisms start to get trotted out by the likes of real estate agents and builders. And one of these is that rent money is dead money. But is this really true? Well, to shed some light on it, we're joined by leading industry commentator, TV host, and buyer's advocate, Bryce Holdaway from the uh, Property Couch podcast. Welcome back to the show, Bryce. Hey, Bushy, thanks for having me back. Mate, uh, we start to hear all these old adages uh, around this time in the market, uh, and the old "is rent money, dead money" is a good one. What's your thoughts? Is it true or not? I think the answer is um, maybe, and uh, sounds like I'm a politician, but um,
3: I remember uh, two, for two reasons. Um, well, two two sort of sources. One, I think it's a it's a wonderful marketing spiel that comes from people who are selling new houses to try and. Get renters off that side of the fence to come and buy a new house, and that and all props to them, right? And the second source is um, I think about my dad's born in 1939, so he was he was in the the shadows of the depression, the shadows of the war, and so austerity and um, getting your own home was so incredibly important to him. So he told me my whole life that rent money is dead money. So we kind of have this generational conditional um, understanding of that statement, but it wasn't until uh, the early uh, early to late late 90s early 2000s when i was moving out of home where i i saw my dad buy a house in 1987 he paid it off as quickly as he could through the 90s which included the recession we had to have yeah. and the idea of uh, renting was just was almost like um, swearing right but then but then i decided that i wanted to live in the suburb of south perth um, when I grew up there in perth and i couldn't afford to buy a house but i could afford to rent and it wasn't until then that I got introduced to the fact that I could have my cake and eat it too. I could have this wonderful lifestyle around um, a beautiful river and everything that comes on board with that. And then buy an investment property at the same time. So I could actually live where I wanted to live and look after my uh, wealth by buying an investment property. And that was foreign to my dad and his generation. So that 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 sort of spawned the idea of rent vesting. So so my, my answer to the question is maybe because... I think there's an arbitrage opportunity that if you take advantage of, I don't think it's dead money. So for example, for you to rent a house versus buying the same house, typically it would cost more to buy. And let's ignore that in some suburbs, that's not the case, but let's just go at a a headline level. Typically it costs you more to buy than it costs to rent. So there's a surplus that you're saving. And if you're trapping that surplus that you ordinarily would have used to, to, to have a mortgage in the same house, and putting it to work, and actually putting it to to buy an investment property like I just described, I therefore think it's not dead money. Versus if you're just um, think it's easy to buy, um, uh, to be in a rental property, that surplus, you're trapping it, but you're spending it on lifestyle and it's getting harder and harder to get on the property ladder, then I think it's um, uh, dead money. So the conclusion for me is it depends if the sentence has a comma or a full stop. Is rent money, dead money, full stop? Yes. If is rent money, dead money, comma, unless you're buying something else with the surplus, then I think that's a smart move. So that's why I've kind of hedged my bets at the top of the Bushy.
2: Yeah. So the, the key take-home from me there is it's what you do with the surplus. Because yeah. if the, the differential between paying the mortgage and paying the rent is substantial and you're taking that substantial difference and putting it into something that's actually going to grow uh, grow your asset base then, as you say, you've got the best of both worlds. You're, you're living a lifestyle in the location that you want to, uh, but you're having your assets increase in value that will eventually replace your income down the track. And, you know, I'm, like you, I was an accidental rent investor many years ago, Bryce, uh, at, 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 before rent vesting was even a thing back in the uh, back in the early 90s. Yeah, mate. <laughs> But I think we're, the other... We're the
3: OGs. We're, we're the old guys who's around... We are the old guys. but he in the vernacular.
2: Well, <laughs> here is the other opportunity with rent investing, though, that associated with that. At the other end of the journey, if you've got a number of uh, properties that are, are covering your uh, income needs... And uh, and you're you're still mobile enough. I, I know my wife and I will be effectively rent vesting at the end of our journey as well, because we can uh, rent some really good places wherever we want to go at a fraction of the cost that a mortgage would would for that exercise. But we've got all of our assets that that, are, that are funding that that story. So uh, so I think it's got applicability at, at both levels. And the the real take home from all of that for me is you know rent for lifestyle. As as long as you're investing, the rest is the is the key take home.
3: I think you've made a wonderful point too, Bushy. And 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 the, the point is, rent vesting sounds sexy, right? But it is like the Titanic. Um, you cannot you cannot change directions quickly. So as you as you know very well, uh, particularly if you're in Sydney, if you start out the journey of rent vesting, I'm committed to rent vesting. I'm in my early 30s and I'm committed. I'm committed. And then all of a sudden, a change of life happens and you go, "Oops, I actually want to live in my own home." that is very very challenging if you've set a set an intention to rent vest and then all of a sudden you go hang on a second i've got to pivot throw a principal place of residence into my cash flow equation which is going to be a significant cash flow drain on on the bottom line and therefore i may have to liquidate assets in a position of weakness where i'm paying capital gains tax and so so you've made a really good point that if you set the intention early that you're going to be a rent investor, stay the path or yep. if you follow your plan and my plan is that you know we're both homeowners and at some point we want to rent a a nice beachfront a riverfront penthouse some sort of lifestyle wow at the uh, at, at the later part of our life cycle that makes sense but but beware the change of course in the middle because it is something that could seriously hamstring if you if you if you haven't looked around the corner on that
2: yeah, and, and having a very clear idea of the roadmap and the strategy is, is is absolutely key there, Bryce. You make a, a really good point. Mate, uh, always love talking to you. You had some really great food for thought there around that subject. Uh, appreciate you joining us on the show again today, mate.
3: Hey, thanks for having me, Bushy. Great.
2: Right, now, uh, the take-home there, guys. It's rent for lifestyle and invest the rest. Uh, make sure you take advantage of that. Uh, you're watching Realty Talk.
1: Call BMT on 1300 728 726 today for an obligation free quote.
2: Welcome. Now in recent times there's been a massive increase of interest in new build homes. And this is largely thanks to huge government incentives particularly for first home buyers. But building can be very high risk if it's not handled very carefully. So to talk you through the tips and traps of building, I'm joined by leading buyer's agent and builder broker, Rob Newman of Blackford's Urban Habitats, who's been involved in property for nearly 40 years now. So welcome to the show again, Rob. Hey, Bushy. Great to be with you. Thanks, mate. Now, uh, this is a a big topic and buying does have its trials and uh, building does have its trials and tribulations. Uh, Tell us, uh, firstly, one of the things that uh, will be uh, confusing for some is what's the difference between uh, buying a complete house and land package from a builder versus buying a block of land and then finding a builder to build on it?
0: Great question. And we've only got five minutes, so I'll try try and keep this really short. If you're buying from a builder that is also the land developer, you have probably, not always, but you've probably got more chance of getting as close... Uh, to what we term a fixed price building contract as possible. Bear in mind, there is no such thing as a fixed price building contract. However, if the builder has done the bulk of the greenfield work, and I'm talking out of suburb type homes now, I'm not t- talking urban, urban infill, they've probably benched the site, they've probably done the retaining walls, they've probably done the rollover curbs and so forth. And you can tie the finance to both contracts. So the the engineering works won't start on site to discover what your underground costs are until you've signed a building contract. That's when they'll take bore logs and so forth. They'll go after the engineers and they'll come back with a figure and also like the the cost and bits and pieces on what the footings are gonna cost. This will be determined by the width of the footings the depth the amount of mesh they've got to use the spoil that's going to be removed it gets very complicated however if they strike an impediment right such as rock for example which no one knows is is there and they then disclose to you the buyer that look we have struck rock it's going to cost a lot more than what we thought and your finance is subject to both the land contract and the build contract, and it becomes prohibitive for you to proceed, e.g. you can't get your finance, then you're free to to walk away from the deal.
2: Yeah, okay, that's really good to know. So uh, clearly there's some advantages in uh, getting a combined house and land package to protect you uh, in that advent. Uh, tell me, uh, there are a number of risks in this process. Uh, what are the, what are a couple of the key ones and, and how can we manage them?
0: So look, the main one is obviously what's happening underground. Um, so again, as I've just mentioned, getting those soil reports done. Now, you won't get those done until you've paid a fee to the builder, if it's a house and land. They're what we call abortive costs, okay? So that's when they'll start doing that research and they'll come back and put a price in, the building contract to say, this is what we allowed for, but this is what it's going to be. And even then you still have the risk if they strike rock or some other impediment that no one knows about, because at this point in time, both the builder and yourself are dealing with the unknown. So they genuinely don't know. So you've got to hope that they don't find any any impediment and that the price they've given you for the underground works is what it's going to end up being. So the bottom line, what I'm saying is here, make sure you do as much research as you possibly can and allow for reasonable footings in your building contract.
2: Yeah, and I think the the flow on from there too is make sure when you're building that you've actually got some additional funds set aside to cover some of these variances that are inevitably going to occur. So, you know, in our own experience, we've generally suggested people add 10%. Uh, to cover these things because it's not a matter of if it's it's just generally a matter of when so yeah okay so uh, one of the other uh, key things I hear a lot about are those that think okay we'll we'll get the land and we'll get the build and then we'll finish it off ourselves Uh, what's your thoughts on is this a good idea and if not why not
0: certainly the main thing need to do Bushy, is retain the integrity of certainly the slab and when I say slab I mean the the concrete slab that the home sits on okay so things like perimeter paths driveways stormwater is a real classic where you can get those done by the builder it's false economy to think you're going to do them the, do them yourself all right and if something were to go wrong and you did the stormwater and so forth yourself you'd be in for a real arm wrestle with the builder as to actually who's at fault
2: yeah yeah and it, it, if it's under the builders hat and there's warranties that are attached to all of that and, and under the defects liability and you do have an issue then you've got some protection if not then uh, you're in a world of pain Correct. but uh some uh, some really good thoughts there that's just the tip of the iceberg uh building can be very beneficial but you really do need to know what you're doing so i, I suggest um uh, if you're looking at doing that to reach out to you, uh, Rob, as a builder broker, uh, there aren't, aren't many that are actually playing that space who look after the client's interests in terms of negotiating uh, and looking after their interests in that regard. So reach out to uh, Blackford's urban habitats to do that and appreciate you spending some time with us today, Rob.
0: Always my pleasure. Thanks for the, the chat, Bushy.
2: Thanks, Rob. Stay with us. Cause there's more after the break here on Realty Talk.
1: Property depreciation is the natural wear and tear of a building and its assets. Property investors can claim depreciation as a tax deduction each financial year. Depreciation is a non-cash deduction. This means you don't need to spend any money in order to claim it. On average, BMT tax depreciation find residential investors almost $9,000 in first full financial year deductions. Call BMT on 1300 728 726 today for an obligation-free quote.
2: Welcome. Now, in days gone by, it was common to buy a property with a two-week finance approval and you'd settle within a month. Unfortunately, it appears that those days are now long gone, with many banks taking a minimum of two weeks just to pick up and start looking at your application, four to eight weeks to approve it, and up to two to three months to settle. Now. This is creating a lot of stress and frustration for everyone in the game. And unfortunately, many sales are actually falling over as a result. So to shed some light on why and what you need to do about this, we're joined by mortgage broking veteran, Jason Back of Broker Essentials, Australia's leading mortgage broking coach. So welcome back to the show, Jason. It's great to be here, Bushy. Jason, we're in very interesting times in property and finance at the moment. Uh, Why is it taking so long to get a loan these days?
4: Look, Bush, it's actually quite a complex issue. As much as I'd like to sort of sit there and say, look, it's the banks just dragging their heels. uh, I think it's a little bit more complex than that. Uh, I've been in the industry for just over 30 years now. Uh, When I started in the bank, uh, you know, credit was um, something that we all had to go away and actually learn like a bit of a classroom exercise, Um, you know, there used to be the four Cs of credit. I think it went out to about the eight Cs of credit. I think it's back to now the five Cs: is you know character, um, capacity, capital, collateral, and conditions. So you know, credit itself is actually quite a complex um, thing. It's not um, you know, it's not as simple as just going and buying a loaf of bread or uh, um, a pint of milk. Um, it it really actually is a complex scenario, and and really the customers generally only see the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the process. So what's really going on at the moment is is there's probably a, a few things. One is you know, technology has certainly changed and how you, know, you you brokers and banks get your information so that they can make a decision on whether you're worthy of lending money to, um, you know, that's a complex scenario. Uh, banks for many years have been stripping back, obviously from a staffing perspective. So resources have been, you know, offshored and then onshored and offshored and insured and outsourced. So there's a bit of complexity there as well. So some of them are really are running on some fairly skeleton staff because they're trying to keep their costs down to you know keep shareholder return high. Uh, although that's really impacting from the customer, um, uh, customers' experience perspective. Um, the other thing is obviously we're also seeing a large influx of other players into the market as well. So there's also a really broad scope of how many people, or how many banks or, or providers people can actually go to now. So, and they all do things really quite differently. So you know what one bank requires, and another bank may not. The way one bank allows you to do verification of your identification. Uh, needs to be done in a branch at one particular bank or others might allow you to do it online. So there's a bunch of sort of things going on out there, but it is certainly adding to um, the, the drains as far as time. And at the moment, for the first time in, in my, me, my career, um, people are actually interested in their mortgages. Uh, you know, COVID-19 uh, shone a spotlight very heavily on people's personal finances. And people started to pay attention to, uh, you know, what interest rate they're paying, what cash flow is going out every month their, you know, their monthly expenditure. Uh, So that certainly has uh, increased the volume of people, not just from purchases, but also refinances. Um, We've got a rising property market. So people are drawing in equity. So they're putting in swimming pools. And I think it's over a year's wait to get a swimming pool these days. Um, You can't buy a new car at the moment. So that takes six months. So there's so much, it's like a perfect storm at the moment. Um, but that being said, you know there are solutions out there.
2: Yeah, I, I think you make a very good point. And I, I think the the mistake I see a lot of people making is they'll chase the the cheapest rate, mm. but of course every man, woman, dog, and child is chasing the same thing, so you get this absolute uh, backlog and and uh, stockpile of opportunity blocking up the works, and therefore no surprise that it's taking longer to get through. Uh, But tell me, how can borrowers be better prepared then in this current environment than Jason?
4: Yeah, I think one of the the challenges that we've got is that, especially in my career, I think one of the biggest mistakes the banking industry actually made was telling people that it's a really easy process. um, That it's quick, it's fast, it's overnight, it's 22 minutes, uh, but it's actually not that simple. So um, for the customer to be more prepared, um, they really do need to go away and do a little bit of research Obviously, work with people like the broking community, so whether they can basically gather up those five C's. And generally, we determine those things by doing some research into having a budget and, and your expenditures. We want to know what you're earning, so we want current pay slips, or you know, bad statements, or P and L, or balance sheets, or whatever you know, employment structure you're under. Um, you know, we want to understand your existing position. So, what assets that you hold, whether that's superannuation or shares, uh, your existing property? So, basically, being more prepared. And to be more prepared generally means time. Uh, it's very unusual for someone to wake up on a Wednesday morning saying, you know, hey, Bushy, let's go buy a property on Friday. So uh, we generally, you know, we know that it happens in the market. We, we get thousands of people coming in saying, oh, I need an approval in principle today. Um, and my question is, how long have you been thinking about buying a property for? And yeah. for most people, it's generally been north of six months. So um, my, my biggest bit of advice for people is, is, is get ready early. So understand your current position, your current state, obviously desired state where you really wanna be and what you wanna buy. Um, really map that out with your broker, but do it early so, you, so that you can uh, get that approval in principle if that's the case. Um, now some of those might only last 30 days, some of those last six months. Um, but if you're not seeing any material change to your position, it puts you in a really strong position when you're gonna go and buy a property
1: yeah
2: I, I very good advice there and I, th- I think a couple of uh, uh points that that uh support that to me are the the fact that uh we also need to start educating real estate agents in particular around what is achievable from the lending perspective so they're not creating uh dates and times that that just can't be met and i, I think you've made a really good point around uh buyers having a chat to a savvy mortgage broker because you know you with 40 odd lenders that they can access uh, a good broker will know which banks are turning approvals around more quickly than others. Mm. And if, if that's quite often in a heated market like this, uh, the settlement timeframe can be the difference between getting the property and not getting the property. Then uh, it's certainly an avenue that they need to pursue. Uh, Anything else that you want to add around that to uh, close off then Jason?
4: Well, yeah, I think it's a really good question. I think some of these things are bigger picture issues about rethinking how the property market transactions actually work. And to your point there, we forget that sometimes real estate agents actually work for the vendor. They actually don't work for the purchasers. So you know, when you've got five purchases lined up, the, the real estate agent's going to look at cash offers. They're going to look at people that don't have finance conditions. They're going to look at people that don't have bridging finance requirements because they want to make it easy for their client right, from a broker perspective, you're our client. So we wanna make it easy for you to purchase. So the faster uh, you can get in and talk to us now about your needs for the future, the more prepared you can be so that when you go in, you go in strong, you go in hard, you know what your best offer is, and you're giving yourself every opportunity to be successful, especially for places like where we are in, in, in Melbourne or Sydney, where auctions obviously are the predominant sort of way of selling properties. You really want to go in hard. So again, to me, the whole thing is about being prepared early and giving us every opportunity to make the experience a really pleasant one for you. So uh, the more prepared you are, the more time you give us, the better the experience will be.
2: Yeah, I love it. Some great take-homes there. So be prepared. Use a savvy mortgage broker who can place with a lender that that is more timely in their response. Yeah. Uh, educate the agents to what's achievable when you've got that opportunity. Some, some really good insights there, mate. So I appreciate you sharing, sharing that with us today.
4: Absolute pleasure, Bushy. It's great to see you as always.
2: Thank you, Jason. Interesting times. You're here on Realty Talk. Welcome. I want to have a quick chat to you about investor reach versus rate. So let me start by asking you a quick question. If you're a property investor, what's the most important thing that you need to focus on when getting a loan? Now, most people think rate. And if this is you, you may be missing the boat because your most important investment loan focus is actually your reach, not the rate. It's your buying capacity. Why? Because higher capacity can mean securing a much higher value property. And this can be very significant because you may not know that there's over a 50% variation across the banks in terms of how much they'll let you borrow. Now, as a quick example, this could be the difference between enabling you to secure a $500,000 property versus a $750,000 property. And over 20 years, That equates to an extra $600,000 in equity just by focusing on your reach, not the rate. And if you want to find out how to maximise your capacity, have a chat to a really good and savvy mortgage broker. So remember, focus on your highest reach, not your lowest rate. More food for thought here on Realty Talk.
1: Thanks, Bushy. Really good advice, as usual. You can catch more Bushy at his Get Invested podcast. Well, that's it for another show. Thanks for your company. Thanks also to Bushy's guests, Bryce Holdaway, Rob Newman and Jason Back. And a reminder that you can see all of our shows at realty.com.au along with one of Australia's most extensive range of properties for sale from over 7,000 agencies nationally. Thanks to Realty.com.au and also BMT Tax Depreciation for their support. I'm Kevin Turner. I'll see you next time.
0: Miss something in this week's show or want to catch up on past shows? Do it anytime at Realty.com.au where we connect buyers, sellers and agents differently.